Hi, welcome to Fizz Gig. I'm Wendy Althwaite and I admit to being fascinated by fizz, the taste, the tingle and most importantly, the trivia. Do join me. We'll explore the myths and the mysteries of the world's greatest sparkling wines. Full disclosure here, I produce English sparkling wine in West Sussex myself, but this podcast is not about our wine in particular, or even about English sparkling wine in general. It's about the scintillating world of effervescence. I'll pop a cork and cast a pod every Friday, and I do hope you'll be with me. Don't forget to listen out for the pudding at the end. It's a little tidbit that, whilst not strictly on point, amuses me. Pop it in your goodie bag as a little fact to take away. So here we go. TGI Fizz Day. And today, we're going to talk about the important practicalities for fizz, how to store it and serve it, both with taste and discretion, but also with spectacle. So you've brought your cherished bottles of fizz home, and assuming you're not going to drink it at once, you'll have to store it. First, pick the right spot. If you're lucky enough to have a wine cellar or a wine fridge, that's perfect, put it there. If you don't, just choose a place that's cool. The ideal temperature is about 10 degrees Celsius, but consistency is more important than any particular temperature. Just avoid temperature swings. And it only has to be cool, not freezing. Cryogenics are not needed here. And put it somewhere dry, or trust me, your labels will slip off. There should be enough humidity not to dry out the corks because that oxidises the wine, but frankly, that's not really an issue in England unless there's vicious air conditioning installed. And preferably, make it dark. Fizz likes bright sunlight about as much as a vampire. Sunshine not only warms the room, creating those ghastly temperature swings, but can also give your bottle light strike, and worryingly, some electric light can do the same thing. Light strike makes your wine taste of soggy cardboard. It can happen in as little as 20 minutes. So it's best if your chosen spot has no windows at all or has blinds. Some bottles are deliberately very dark glass to prevent light reaching the wine, but please don't rely on it. It's not foolproof. Never ever buy a bottle of wine from a merchant's display in a south-facing shop window. You will be disappointed. I wince whenever I see rosés in clear glass bottles basking in the sunlight in the window. Also, make sure your wine is reasonably undisturbed. You don't want to keep agitating the wine, even with vibrations, because it will affect the taste. And it's best to have a hard floor. Trust me, it's so much easier to clean spills from a hard floor than from a carpet. You never know when a bottle might pop its cork or smash. If possible, keep your bottles on a rack, just a little wine rack, making sure that the holes are big enough for champagne bottles, of course, and we'll be able to store them on their sides. The wine will be in contact with the cork and will stop the cork drying out. And for those of you who only buy large format fizz, lucky you, you'll have to have dedicated racking. Magnums or larger simply will not fit. But large format bottles can be stored safely upright but probably best not to wait for years before drinking it. And finally, try and keep your fizz area uncluttered. You don't want detritus blocking your path when you're keen to seize your bottle. Trip hazards are a distraction. 
But as always, rules are sometimes there to be broken. Some people keep their fizz in the fridge to keep it fresh and it works for them. Traditional aficionados balk at this. They say a fridge is too dry, it's too cold, there's regular agitation as people rummage, particularly if you shove it in the door, and every time you open the door, the light comes on. But opinion is genuinely divided. Personally, I still prefer the calm and safety of a cellar or a wine rack. Just please don't position it in a warm kitchen wedged between the fridge and the oven. And when you've carefully stored your bottle for long enough, let's serve it. The first way, when simply sharing a bottle with friends, is to serve it with understated discretion. Fine fizz should be slightly chilled at about 10 degrees centigrade, although you could serve it at slightly colder, at say 8 degrees centigrade, to allow for it to warm up in the glass. If the fizz is too cold, then you'll not be able to taste its full flavours, and this can be a good thing. I'm sure that no fizz gigger would ever buy a cheap, nasty, defective fizz, but if you were given such a bottle, remember cold masks wine sins, so chill it brutally and you'll be fine. If, on the other hand, you actually want to taste it, don't overchill it. You'll immediately notice that your fridge at 4 degrees centigrade is far too cold, so instead pop your bottle in ice with a little cold water in about 15 minutes it'll be perfect. But if you insist on chilling your bottle in the fridge, don't leave it there for more than an hour. And never, ever put your bottle in the freezer. The extreme cold will destroy all the delicate characteristics of the wine. There's also a risk of fizz lollies and explosion. And if you have put your bottle in the freezer, in which case I'm feeling a little judgmental and think you've overdone it, Please don't put it near a radiator, fire or arger. Speedy rewarming will just damage the wine even more. So, at last, your wine is chilled to perfection and it's time to pour it. The first question is, into what? Regular fizz giggers know that glassware is a fashion choice. Many aficionados hold trenchant views. My advice is... Choose the glass you like best and wear earplugs to block the critics. If you want to preserve fizz, go for a flute. If you want to defizz and oxygenate quickly, go for a coupe. If you want to smell the wine, go for a glass with a wide enough mouth to be able to get your nose into. My personal preference is a white wine glass, but anything goes. Glasses should, of course, be clean and well rinsed. If you cherish your bubbles, please don't leave a residue of washing up liquid in your glass, or for that matter, a whole lot of fibres from a drying up cloth. Use a glass cloth, or even better, wash them in the dishwasher, or if you can't do that, just wash them in hot water and leave them upside down to drain dry. And if you have unsightly dried watermarks on your glassware, hover the glass over boiling water either from a kettle or a saucepan of boiling water and the steam will give enough humidity to be able to polish them off with a fiber-free glass polishing cloth now that's more than enough domestic goddess preaching for one day i think so let's open the bottle have your sparkling glass at the ready pick up your bottle of sparkling from its ice bucket or fridge and give it a quick dry then rest the base of the bottle against your body so that it feels secure. 
hold the bottle in your dominant hand at a 45 degree angle facing away from you. Don't point it at anyone else either. It makes them nervous. Peel away the foil and untwist the muzzle, the circular metal opener on the metal cage over the cork, just to loosen it. Don't remove the cage. Keep your hand on the cage and the cork and twist the bottle slowly. That's twist the bottle, not the cork. You'll feel a little pressure in the cork when you're close to it coming free. Just remember to take it nice and slowly, keeping your hand over the cork. As the cork leaves the bottle, the fizz will give a discreet and decorous sigh of release. It should not pop, squirt or foam and the cork stays safely in your hand. Now, to hold the bottle properly for pouring, you should put your thumb in the punt, the raised space in the base of the bottle, and balance the bottle on your fingers. You may feel suspiciously like a waiter, but the bottle in this position is secure, balanced and pours easily. There's absolutely no need to wrap the bottle in a napkin unless you're ashamed of what you're serving. Pick up the glass and tilt the glass at a 45 degree angle so you can pour the fizz slowly down the side of the glass rather than onto the base. This prevents the fizz from, well, fizzing and losing too much of its initial bubbles. Pause to let the froth subside and then resume pouring to fill the glass. Pause as many times as you like. The anticipation will drive your guests wild. Twist the bottle slightly as you remove it from the side of the glass to avoid drips. I'm told that one ostentatious oligarch insisted that his Jeroboams of champagne were served from bottles hefted onto waiters' shoulders and then tipped. Inevitably, every guest and their finery was drenched. Sometimes, less is more. But on the subject of showy stuff, the two most popular ways of spectacular serving are champagne fountains and sabrage. Champagne fountains rely entirely on the law of the seven Ps. Proper planning and preparation prevent piss-poor performance. You'll need a big strong table and your surface must be level, really level. Get a spirit level and ensure that it is and adjust it if it isn't. Copper pennies are a good stable way of evening up an uneven or wiggly table. Next, put down a large tray. There will be spillage. If you don't want a soggy tablecloth or waterfall onto the floor, get yourself a nice tray with a lip. Next, choose coupe glasses. You can't do these with flutes. And don't choose granny's heirlooms either. You're looking for a strong and sturdy coupe that can carry the weight of all the other glasses. Probably it's best to just start with a six-tier champagne fountain, so you'll need 91 glasses. And if you're cautious, a four-tier fountain will only need 30 glasses, so you could start small if you wish. Place each glass so that four glasses in the centre make a diamond shape and each glass touches another. The base for the six-tier fountain should be six glasses by six glasses. And then start building. Each glass needs to be positioned in the centre of the diamond shape below. So the second level of a six-tier fountain will be five glasses by five glasses. And so it goes on until you've reached your single coupe at the top. To get a fabulous fountain effect, 
you'll need to have a continuous pour. So either pour a magnum or have two people pour at the same time. Beware splashing because it can topple the tower. Ideally, each champagne glass will evenly fill the glasses immediately below, but you may need to surreptitiously top up one or two to make sure that the weight is evenly balanced. A toppling table will make a toppling tower. And make sure that someone is on hand to record your spectacular efforts. There are not nearly enough active champagne fountains on Instagram. Alternatively, there's sabrage. Now, this is much quicker. Allegedly, it was invented by the Hussars during the Napoleonic Wars. They were moving far too quickly to want to dismount and uncork a bottle. So if you have a sabre and you're not afraid to use it, buckle your swash, ready your swagger and cry, well, what else? Huzzah! So what to do? First, chill your bottle. No, honestly, chill it properly. Don't just put it in the fridge for five minutes. Get it really cold, perhaps in the fridge overnight. And just to make extra certain after chilling in the fridge, pop the bottle upside down in a bucket of ice for 10 minutes. It's all about chilling the glass of the neck of the bottle. It's not about the optimal temperature to serve the wine. Just don't shake it. Turn it upright with gentle reverence. Then dry your bottle and remove the foil, all of it. At this point, it's worth remembering that a bottle of fizz is a potential bomb. Remember that the cork wants to come out at speed. So carefully remove the wild muzzle while holding the cork in place and keep your thumb firmly on the cork. You do not want premature evacuation. Hold the bottle in your non-dominant hand and hold it properly. Put your thumb firmly in the punt and balance the weight of the bottle on the rest of your hand as if you were going to pour it. Holding your bottle in this way will ensure that you don't sabre your fingers. Tip the bottle away from you at about a 45 degree angle again. Aim it away from any other people too, and also other fragile things, like windows. Turn the bottle until you find the manufacture seam in the glass and trace it up to the neck. This is your break point. And here comes the science bit. Glass is brittle and can split dramatically from even a small crack if the glass is cold and the bottle is under pressure, and yours is. The cold makes the glass particularly brittle. Forget the wine, this bottle is chilled to thrill. Please don't bother, as is sometimes suggested, to score the neck of the bottle to guarantee that the glass will shear. Trust me, it will, if the bottle is cold enough. Now. Wield your sabre. Strictly speaking, it does not have to be a sabre. Any sword will do. A broadsword, katana or cutlass is equally effective. I have even, during afternoon tea naturally, done it with a teaspoon. You're not cutting it, you're jolting it. However, if ever there was a moment for style over substance, this is it. Use the back of your sabre blade, not the cutting edge, and lay it on the bottle seam. You may want to surreptitiously have a bit of a practice of sliding the sabre smoothly over the bottle to the cork, to just to get the feel of it. To sabrage, in one deft sweep, firmly slide the sabre up the bottle and through the cork. Do not stop at the cork. Swing through, a bit like a golf swing, apparently. 
The movement has to be smooth and performed with confidence and conviction. You do not need to be overly forceful, but a weak half-hearted attempt will result in a pathetic leapfrog off the top of the bottle. As you sabre the bottle, the bottle will break around the neck, leaving a glass ring, its annulus. The cork and bottle top will fly into the distance, so keep your eye on it to retrieve it later. The fizz will spurt most satisfactorily. Scrutinise your annulus to ensure that the glass has broken cleanly with no glass splinters, and don't worry, the foaming fizz will have prevented anything from dropping into the bottle. But resist the temptation to slurp from the bottle. That cut glass will cut. Instead, pour it into a glass and savour. So, anyone for pudding? Here's a couple of wine-related quotes that seem particularly apt. Did you know that Louis Pasteur declared, Wine is the most healthy and hygienic of beverages. Whilst Alexander Fleming noted that, Penicillin cures, but wine makes people happy. But the last word, as so often happens, goes to Lord Byron. Let's have wine and women, mirth and laughter, sermons and soda water the day after. Well, I'll drink to that. So there we have it, Fizzerati. We've stored, served, sabred and fountained. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join me next Friday when we'll be tasting. Mm delicious. Until then, may your wine like your wit be sparkling. Chin chin. <laughs>